All right, well, again, welcome to Hope Lower Town. Uh, those of you who don't know me, my name is Brian, uh, lead pastor here at Hope Lower Town. We've been here for uh, a little over three and a half years now, believe it or not. I know some of you have been here uh, from the start and grateful for, for you. And those of you who haven't been here from the start, uh, I'm still, still grateful for everyone uh, who's been here. And, and it's been a journey. It's been uh, a crazy three and a half years. I feel like we've kind of rebooted about three different times and we're still in that process in the midst of COVID and, and all of that. Um, so this is, uh, this is week nine of uh, going through the book of Hebrews. And uh, we've, we've gone, uh, we've been in a lot of places and, and there's still a, lot of, still a lot of book left to go through. And so I'm just grateful that we have this awesome uh, book to be able to, to walk through. Um, I, I think a lot of you know this about me, uh, but I love cooking. I absolutely love cooking. I, I don't know what it is. Um, I just, there's something, I don't know. I, there, as, as somebody who, who is in ministry or anybody who probably works um, in a service industry, you, you never actually get to like step back and say, I'm done, right? You just, you never get to do that, right? You're, you're always working with customers or you're constantly working on something. Um, you know, but when I'm telling somebody, hey, you got to work on the sin problem, we never get to say, ah, yeah, we got it fixed. We're done. We got to figure it out now. Uh, that just hasn't been the case. Uh, so uh, I love cooking. There's something to be able to, to take something, but the way in the food that I like isn't necessarily the food that my, my boys especially like. Henry just turned four and he is getting more and more picky. And I don't know why, because the food I make is delicious, right? Uh, I don't have a, a go-to meal. Um, uh, you know, some people kind of have, oh, if, if I got to, you know, make something real fast for company. Remember that? Remember company? Remember that word? Um, and, uh, but, but I, I, I started dry aging my own uh, steaks uh, so I, you know, I'll dry them for 40 days. There's, it's a, there's, you have to go, it's a process. You can't just throw meat in the fridge. It would rot. That would be bad. Um, and so that, that's always fun. And, but if I give a, a 40 day dry age steak to my son, uh, yeah, he's going to put his nose up at it. He's not going to eat that. Uh, he, he wants peanut butter and jelly. He wants mac and cheese. Not my mac and cheese. He doesn't want homemade, yummy, delicious mac and cheese. He wants craft uh, mac and cheese. And that's just how, yeah, yeah, there's, there's definitely, right, it is, it is good. Uh, I'm not going to lie, but uh, there's, there's better ways to make mac and cheese. Um, put some uh, graham crackers and bacon in it. Uh, it's, it's pretty good. Anyways, I digress. What's going to happen today, the author, though, is going to talk about food. And so he's going to, the, you know, the author is going to kind of give us a, a three-course meal, if you will. And so just want to be able to uh, jump into this meal of what is going to happen. And so in the, uh, we've been talking about this idea of, of hold fast. And so we've been holding fast to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we have been, um, in, been introduced to the new covenant, that we were doing this old way of doing something, and now there's this, this new covenant. I uh, describe this as a child opening a present and not wanting the actual present, but wanting to go back and just play with the box. And so the author of Hebrews continually, multiple times already has said, hold fast, don't drift away. I want you to remain in Christ. And so that's going to be the case. But again, the context of the church, on the early church specifically here, is that these are Hebrew Christians. These are Christians now uh, who, who are of the Jewish faith that have converted to Christianity and they're tempted to abandon Jesus and go back to their old way of, of living uh, uh, under a false sense of security. 
a false sense of saying, oh no, actually, now I get to go back to this thing now because my family, they're putting pressure on me. My job is putting pressure on me. Societally, this is, there's some pressure here. So I'm going back. I'm going to go back to this old way and abandon. And the author here over and over is going to say, uh, nope, don't, don't do that. So when we look at this passage, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 5, looking at verse 11, and then getting into chapter 6 through verse 8. Uh, and the title of this week's sermon is A Strong Warning. And so if you're, you're checking out Hope, if you're here, if you're online and you're just curious about Hope Community Church, uh, one thing that I love about our church is that we don't shy away from hard passages. We don't shy away from difficult topics. And so if, if it was just, I just wanted to pick and choose certain topics throughout the Bible, um, I could, we, could, we could basically say whatever we wanted to say. But when we preach through a book, and we get to a passage like this, I can't just skip it. Right? I've said that a million times. Uh, this is why we, we most often preach in this manner. If you're checking out Christianity, though, uh, today is going to be a fire hose of theology, but it's also going to be a fire hose of the gospel. It's going to be a fire hose of just Jesus. But if you're in the church, and you've, you've been attending church for a while, whether it's this church or another church, you grew up in the church, whatever, this is a warning. This is a sobering passage uh, that we all really need to think long and hard about, examine our own hearts as we look at this. And so uh, just looking at where we've been, Jesus is greater than, I'm not going to go through this. We've kind of been going through this every week, but, but this is the ninth week. These are the previous eight weeks that we've gone over that Jesus is better. Jesus is greater than this old thing, this old way of offering something Jesus is greater. And so last week, we just looked at Jesus is greater than earthly high priests. And there's a whole lot wrapped in what is a high priest. But Jesus is the one now who intercedes on my behalf. I cannot do that on my own. I need Jesus to be an arbiter between God and me. So let's look at the passage for today. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read through it. Um, and so uh, we, we don't often do this, but if you're able, would you mind just, because I don't normally just read through the passage, if you're able, just stand with me. Uh, I'll read this out loud. You don't need to read along, um, but I will uh, read this and then we will jump into it. So the author of Hebrews uh, chapter 5, verse 11 through 6, 8 says this. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and from faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened and who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain, uh, often falling on it, 
and produces a crop useful for those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. And in the end, it will be burned. Thank you. You may be seated. That's the passage for today. And it may seem cryptic, it may, but what I want to be able to do as a, your pastor is be able to teach you how to read the Bible. And, I, and I'm not the expert. And so I'm able to, to read commentaries. I'm able to look at this passage and read through the passage and wrestle with this. But know that there are other passages and other parts of my Bible that go, okay, this thought, when I first read this, this thought pops into my head, like, can I, can I lose my salvation? And then I go to the rest of the Bible and go, no, that can't be true. That's just simply not the case. And, and that'll be the case today. So let's look at uh, starting off with the milk. This, is, again, is a warning to immature Christians. Uh, the the uh, author here is saying, I, I want to get in deeper. I want to dig into some really difficult conversations, but we can't. You're not ready to move on. Uh, it says, it is hard for me to make it clear to you because you no longer even try to understand. You've, you've put these blinders on, and in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God, God's word all over again, right? You, you need milk, not solid food, right? We're, we're infants when it comes to certain theologies in the scriptures, certain doctrines. But all we want is milk. No, I don't want that kind of food. I don't want that. I want my PB&J, right? That's, the author here is saying we got to dig in. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil, Right, I, I've been told this, uh, not by anyone in this room, so don't, I'm not calling anyone out here. Uh, of I, don't, I just don't know if I'm being fed. Right, That's a kind of a phrase, a very Christianese phrase of, I just don't know if I'm being fed by this teaching. I don't know if I'm being fed by my church. And the best way to think about this is, I'm not here to feed you. <laughs> All right, I'm just here to whet the appetite. I'm, I'm the appetizer. The, the scriptures that are taught on a Sunday morning are an appetizer, and it is your duty as a believer, to dig into God's word and feed yourself from the truth and the meat of what God is teaching. 35 to 40 minutes every week, it's not enough food. We need to be mature. We need to dig into God's word on our own. And so I'm, I'm gonna kind of just keep moving here because there's a lot that comes in the last little chunk here. And so let's look at the appetizers, if you will. Um, Starting in, the, in chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. Okay, so what are these uh, immature, or sorry, these elementary teachings? There's some elementary teachings saying, hey, let's move forward about what's happening right here. And these are the elementary teachings. No, let's not lay again the foundation. Let's not keep going back to the same thing over and over and over again. So what are these elementary teachings? Elementary teachings are repentance from sin uh, that lead to death. Uh, elementary teachings, which I think, I think would be true, like faith in God. I think that if you're a non-believer and you're watching or you're, you're listening right now to say, oh yeah, I mean, I, I'm not even a Christian, but, but I'm just checking this out. But I would, I would know, right? I've watched Nacho Libre, right? It's about salvation and stuff, right? I, I get that. There's, those are very elementary teachings, right? But he moves on or the author moves on here to cleansing rites. And there's a little bit of, uh, 
debate on, on what this means, but it could be baptism, different views of baptism. This could just be uh, ritual washing rites uh, that would have been happening uh, physically to symbolize uh, an outward expression. Uh, and it talks about laying on of hands. This could be either healing or uh, it talks about apostles laying their hands on their brothers and sisters to be sent out uh, into the community. Uh, these are elementary teachings. We talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We talk about eternal judgment. These are just standard. Let's see, these are just, these are just basic truths within the Christian teaching. And so the author is saying, let's move on. Let's now get to the meat, right? Let's, these the elementary teachings, these are great. These are very foundational. Without these, we're in trouble. Right? We're building on sand instead of the solid rock of Jesus Christ. But now, now he gets to, uh, the, the author here now gets to the meat. He says this, it is impossible, so just follow the thought. I'm gonna skip kind of through this list of the description of this individual. It is impossible for those who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. It is impossible, there's a descriptor here, so is it a Christian or not? We're gonna talk about that. It is impossible for those who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. We might look at that word impossible and say, is it impossible or is it just like not, not very likely? Uh, we see a great catch in football or baseball or whatever, an amazing goal. We go, no way, that was impossible. No, it wasn't because it just happened, <laughs> right? Uh, that's, it wasn't impossible in the way that we think of it. Even the whole series of Mission Impossible Missions always accomplished, okay? Uh, we can think of uh, Star Wars and, and uh, Darth Vader going to Luke Skywalker, whom he just chopped his son's hand off. Oh, sorry, I got my own kids are in the room here. <laughs> a little, little graphic, right? And he says, no, I'm your father, right? And then Luke's like, it's impossible, right? No, it's not. I, I am your dad, Right? This word means impossible. It doesn't mean difficult. It means it is impossible. There is no chance, 0% chance of success for those who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. So let's start digging into this. I do want to give myself a warning on how to interpret this passage. Uh, and those of us in the room who uh, have studied this before, uh, that we cannot make the passage say what we want. I cannot twist the words, I've got to stay true to the teaching and the doctrine of God. I can't make it say what will make me feel more comfortable. I can't make this even fit my own theological convictions. I've got to study the word and I've got to do it justice. But the other warning that I give myself is that it's not to manipulate people into living better lives. That's not what this passage is about. This passage is not about being better people, studying the Bible even more. That's not the gospel. That's just a different kind of law. And there's a lot of people, probably even in this room, myself included, that church has hurt, um, that I was told I was unfit for ministry because of sin in my life. I use quotations because I know I've shared this before because I went to a movie theater. That was, the, that was the sin. I watched Mission Impossible too. Look at that, full circle. 
right? You did, you did what? You did that thing? Oh boy, I sure hope you can still repent. I still hope there's, I still hope, I pray there's hope for you still. But man, I read these passages, yeah, it might be too late, right? That's terrifying, it's manipulative, it's evil. It's not what these passages are about, so let's, let's do this. Yesterday I was painting our, our uh, soon-to-be-born baby girl's room, and uh, my Spotify, for whatever reason, isn't, doesn't work on my phone, and so I just thought, you know what, I've already been studying this passage all week, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to a couple, couple sermons. Uh, and so I, I listened to like five. And so what I want to do this morning, which I never do, I, I don't remember the last time I listened to somebody preach on a passage that I was going to be preaching on. I just thought, oh, I'll check it out. So uh, here's my list of five names from the worst to the best. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. Uh, I'm just kidding. Um, there's some big questions here, though. Really big questions that come up from this passage. Here's the first one. Who is the person who falls away in verse six? Right? This is the big question. Are they actually a Christian? Are they a believer? Are they devoted follower of Jesus Christ? Are they the ones that have fallen away? And so that's the, there's two big questions I want to ask. But within this question, specifically, I want to look at two main interpretations of this passage. The first one, there's no fancy names for these. The first one, though, would look at this passage and say, yes, they are Christians. Yeah, I mean, let's look at the description. It's impossible for those who have once been enlightened. They were in darkness, and now they're in the light. They understand something now fuller than they once did. They, have, they see the light of Christ. They have tasted the heavenly gift. This is the idea of, of being brought into a family, a membership of a community. This gift of God's people who have shared in the Holy Spirit. It sure sounds like a believer. That once they believe, they, they get and they, they're indwelt with the Holy Spirit and they have tasted the goodness of the word of God. They've sat in a, in a pew or in a chair or wherever and they've listened to the teaching of God's word and it's impacted their life so they change who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age. This is the Holy Spirit now in this context is at work big time in that in the first century. Miracles are happening. People are being raised from the dead. They've seen this. They've witnessed this. They might even have done it. This is a believer. But then it says, and to those and, and who have fallen away. So those who are believers, it is impossible, who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance, to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Now, one uh, really bad way to read this would say, yes, they're Christians, and we can lose our salvation. That's what I was taught growing up. You could, you could lose your salvation. I'm going to talk about that. You cannot read it that way. One way that I can read it to say, yes, these are Christians. And I, and I read, okay, I read this passage. I've studied it. They're Christians. Uh, is this Latin phrase, which I don't know how to say, uh, reducto ad absurdum. And this is just means to reduce to absurdity. And, 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 and authors do this all the time. It's a, it's, a, it's a way to use language to convince people, if you will, that this is crazy. This is absurd, right? So the, the, the logic here is, the author of Hebrews is talking to immature believers. You're afraid of losing your salvation. You're afraid of being let go by Christ. 
This is a base way of thinking about the security that we have in Christ. And he says, okay, let's just follow that logic out. The logic then that follows out is that, yep, you have your faith in Christ, but you think you did something that was not covered by Jesus' death. And so what we have to go do is go find Jesus and let's crucify him again and maybe this time it'll stick. That's absurd. That's one way of reading this passage. I've heard it taught that way and I, and I think it's, it's appropriate. Um, it's not inappropriate. But I don't think it's uh, staying very true to the text in a, in a certain way. It doesn't read that way and there's nothing within the Greek language that would make me go, oh, that's what it is. Some English translations... Uh, we'll, we'll lead it that way. Um, but they add a couple words, just twos and fours to make it like, yeah, okay, this is the, the process that we get to, this uh, reduction. The other uh, way of reading this passage, though, that I, is by far the most prevailing. I don't even know how many commentaries I read, six or seven different uh, big chunks on this passage. Uh, they were all unanimous in this. But these are not Christians. <laughs> but the problem is, when I look at this passage, it sure sounds like a Christian. This is the warning. It's impossible for those who have once been enlightened, okay? So now this is not a believer, but they've been enlightened. They've seen a better way of living. They've seen Christians around them. They've heard the teachings of Jesus and said, yeah, I think that's a better quality of life to live that way. They've tasted the heavenly gift. They've benefited from a family, from a community of spending time together, actually bonding and then living life with someone else. They've, they've tasted that. They have shared in the Holy Spirit. And to me, this was the hardest one to try to think about. But as I read commentaries and as I thought about my own life and lives of people that I know, that the Holy Spirit is fully capable of convicting somebody of their sin while that person can look to Holy Spirit and say, yeah, no thanks. The Holy Spirit is always convicting, always working in people's lives, saying, come to me and I will give you rest. And people constantly resist him. I, I wasn't planning on doing this even this morning. I just added these uh, slides to the PowerPoint because I, I just taught on this in systematic uh, theology of irresistible grace, uh, which is a whole nother uh, thing that I've already preached on. So you can go, go back to like week eight when we started this church. This is a quote from R.C. Sproul. He just says this, however, the idea of irresistibility conjures up the idea that one cannot possibly offer any resistance to the grace of God. However, the history of the human race is the history of relentless resistance to the sweetness of the grace of God. Irresistible grace does not mean that God's grace is incapable of being resisted. Indeed, we are capable of resisting, resisting God's grace and we do resist it. The idea is that God's grace is so profound that it has the capacity to overcome our natural resistance to it. It is not that the Holy Spirit drags people kicking and screaming to Christ against their wills. In other words, the Holy Spirit says, I, wanna, I want you to follow me. I want to convict you of your sin. There's a better way. You can, you can be forgiven of that sin. And the, the story of humanity has been, nah. How many people in pews across this country have felt that? Have felt the drawing of the Spirit and resisted? 
finish the quote here, just again, the Holy Spirit changes the inclination and disposition of our wills so that whereas we were previously unwilling to embrace Christ, we are now willing and more than willing that, that when the Holy Spirit draws us, there's something in us. And I think that even has to do with repentance, which we'll talk about the same idea that the Spirit draws us to where we're actually willing. We want to repent because it says they won't repent or they can't repent. What does that mean? We'll, we'll talk about that as well. So moving on, they, they've tasted the Holy Spirit. They saw they've shared in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has convicted of them who have tasted the goodness of the word of God. They've sat in a church. They've sat in a congregation. They've sat under the teaching and preaching of God's word. And they've, uh, and they've, and they've partaken in the powers of the coming age. They've, they've seen miracles that even maybe within this context, there were people that were part of the feeding of the 5,000. Oh yeah, I got a free lunch from this guy. But I've witnessed miracles And yet, are they actually believers? He says, it is impossible for these people who have sat under the teaching of God's word, who have been blessed by the community of God's people, who have had the Holy Spirit convict them, and when they have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. Fallen away. Fallen away does not mean they fell. Falling away does not mean they stumbled. I stumble and fall flat on my face from sin all the time. I sin all the time. But why am I able to get back up? Why am I able to repent? Because Christ dwells in me and I dwell in him and the spirit is sealed to me and his righteousness is now mine. And so when I repent, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. That's someone who has who who falls or stumbles, but somebody who has fallen away is the person who looks at all that Christ has to offer and the church has to offer and they've partaken in it. They've even tasted it and seen that it's good and they go, yeah, but it's just not enough for me. Jesus just isn't quite doing it. And again, it doesn't say that they can't repent. It says they won't repent. Their heart has been hardened. Just like that quote from R.C. Sproul talking about this irresistible grace. They've resisted so much that they can't even begin to think about what it would mean to repent. And so this warning here is that over and over again, they crucified Jesus to a public disgrace. Why? Because the world is better. God, I like your creation better than you. It's been a good church. It's been good. It's been good. I've enjoyed it for the time. I grew up in it. I learned some good things. Yeah, this can't be the end. That's not satisfying. You talk about satisfaction in Jesus. I'm not getting it. I'm out. Jesus doesn't cut it. Jesus can't cut it. This is where it gets impossible And so this passage is not a a warning about losing my salvation, which we're going to talk about. This is a passage about apostasy, about leaving, about abandoning my faith, of letting go of Christ of the present and leaving and going back after the box, going back into the old covenant, going back under law. This is a warning again about a false sense of security. I can leave, I can go back. I don't have to go into a coffee shop and 
tell them I'm a pastor and immediately get ridiculed or get 20 questions about what I believe about this or that. I'm just tired of it. I want an easier life. Eventually we'll get there, but in chapter 12, we're taught about Esau. Uh, Jacob was his brother, his twin brother. Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. Esau was born first, but as he's being born, Jacob is holding on to his heel and they're born. And so Esau has the birthright that he was supposed to be the child of promise, but he gets hungry one day. So he goes to his little brother, Jacob, younger brother, and he says, you can be the firstborn. You can have the birthright. You can be the line of the descendants that, of promise. I'm really hungry. Give me some food. And it says that even though he went to his father with tears, he was ble- his blessing was not restored. Tears don't mean repentance. I've learned that in my own life. I've learned that from people sitting in my office weeping. Tears don't mean repentance. But nowhere in that passage of, in chapter 12, when it's talking about Esau, does it say that he, he wanted to repent but couldn't. It says he wouldn't repent. Same as this passage. They're incapable of repenting. But what I do know from Scripture is that when I want to repent, I can't. Now, when I actually want to turn and repent, just me, it means a 180, a turn away from that to go to this. But I'm not going from one sin to a different thing that satisfies. I'm turning from sin and law and I'm embracing Christ. That's repentance. That is freely offered to all who hear that. The warning that comes here is this me. Am I an apostate? Am I the person who's sat, I've listened, I've studied I've seen people's lives changed and transformed. I've even been part of that. I've taught and seen the transformation of lives. I I think I'm bearing fruit, but is this me? This is the warning. Is Jesus just my my ticket, if you will? My ticket of get out of hell free car, right? Or is he transforming my life? We talk about this a lot here. Is he the gospel door only? Have I, do I think I've stepped through, I'm part of this community, now I'm good, or am I walking a gospel path? Am I being transformed? Am I being renewed in my mind? Because what Jesus warns in his own lifetime, in his words, is that on that final day, in that judgment, there are gonna be many that are gonna come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not perform miracles in your name? And Jesus is gonna look at them and say, I never knew you. You never repented. You always resisted the Spirit. Now, the second part of this, though, the other big question is, can I lose my salvation? It's a big question that comes up in this, and so let's let's examine it. The rest of the passage says this, land that drinks in the rain often falling on it that produces a crop useful to those to whom it has been farmed receives a blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. What is this text? What is the author of Hebrews trying to tell me about my security of my salvation? They're saying, 
There's two different fields here. There are those that the water, the good news, all those four steps that he just previously said, these, these four or five attributes are true of both fields. It looks like that. The, the grace of God, this usefulness of this water falls on both fields, but one produces a good crop and receives the blessing of God. But there's also a land that produces thorns and thistles and is worthless and is danger of being cursed. And in the end, it will be burned. This passage does not say, sometimes there are fields that produce good crops and then they stop producing crops and the farmer goes, ah, forget about it. I'm giving up on that. No, that's not what this passage is about. There are two crops, there are two fields. So can we lose our salvation? No. I don't necessarily like the phrase like once saved, always saved, because I think it gives a false sense of security in the sense of, oh yeah, no, when I was in in junior high, yeah, there was this bonfire at a camp and I threw a stick in it and I said this prayer, like I'm cool, I can do whatever I want. Over and over, scripture's like, no, 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 that's not how this works. Now, once the spirit indwells in me and I am sealed, yes, that is true. Salvation is eternal life. You can't lose something that's eternal. That doesn't make any sense. Jesus teaches us this in John chapter 3, 16, that God sent his only son, right? And anyone who would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Not life for a little bit, and then you can lose it and then gain it again and then lose it, but hopefully you've gained it right before you die or it'll be lost forever. That's not what it's taught anywhere in scripture. We also see that salvation is a gift of God's grace. If I have done nothing to earn salvation or to merit salvation, then I'm telling you right now, there's nothing that I can do or you can do to unmerit my my salvation. I can't do that. In Ephesians chapter four, It's made very clear, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And it's not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. And if God has given me a gift, he's not going to take it away. Another aspect is that we've been been adopted. And we could look at Romans chapter 8 and read a lot in Romans chapter 8. But I want to read verse 17. The spirit you received brought about your adoption. Adoption. And once you've been adopted into God's family, you can't be unadopted. Another really good way to think about it is this way. If we could lose our salvation, again, it's got nothing to do with me. It would mean that Jesus could lose me as a Christian. I can't lose my salvation. If I, if I could do something to earn my salvation, sure, I could lose it. That's not the case. So if it's a gift then we have to ask ourselves, I can't lose my salvation. Can Christ lose me? And he emphatically in John chapter 10, verse 28 says, I gave them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. I can't even undo what God has done. There is no sin that Christ can't and didn't die for. Romans 5, 19, for just as through the disobedience of one man, the many 
were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, Jesus, many will be made righteous. We can't use this passage to manipulate people and to saying, oh man, I did this thing, I did, but if you only knew this thing, if you repent, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive you of those sins. So in conclusion, the gospel application that we have this week is believe Jesus. Hold fast in Jesus. Because this is a warning. It's a strong warning. It's a strong warning to myself to work out my salvation with fear and trembling, to look at friends, family members of mine, pastors that I know, that participated, we walked shoulder and shoulder in ministry, that at some point said, nah, it's not enough. They've fallen away. And I don't think those individuals will ever want to repent again. But if they do, Jesus will forgive them. (laughs) But what I can honestly say is that they never actually believed. The final thing is that um, no that our salvation is secure in Christ. That if you're one of those individuals, and, and to me, it depends on the day. Trust me, there, there are certain days where I'm like, man, am I really saved? Like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I see the fruit in my life when I get, have an outburst of anger. It's like, man, why, why do I do that all the time? I can know that my salvation is secure in Christ. And we didn't get there today. But we'll get there next week. The very next verse in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9 says, We are convinced, we are assured of better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation. We can be assured of our salvation. Why? Because if our, our justification, my goodness rests in Christ, then, then I'm okay in Jesus. Nine times now, we've looked at this idea that Jesus is greater than. He is greater than. He's greater than my own sin. He's greater than my own doubt. He's greater than anything I could do to try to merit or earn my salvation. We are his. So when we have communion together, I want to keep in mind that on the cross, Jesus said, it's finished. It's finished. You can't do anything more. Jesus can't even do anything more. It's done. So again, you might ask the question, but how can God love a sinner like me? If you're not a believer, you're just checking out church, checking out Christianity, I, don't, I just don't understand. Well, what I do know is that the Holy Spirit is convicting you and you want to repent. He's faithful and just to forgive you of those sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Don't run away from that. Don't resist that call. And we can see that today is the day of repentance. That may be, need to be the case for you. In a moment, as we partake of communion, we're going to sing a couple songs. And again, I, it's just always amazing to me that when we sing songs that are just gospel-centric, they're just about Jesus, how well they fit. And this, this song, the first one that we're going to be singing is, Give Me Christ or Else I Die. I need Christ or I'm lost. Period. Can I lose my salvation? Give me Christ or else I die. How do I know if I'm going to fall away? Do you believe in Christ? Are you holding fast to Christ? Give me Christ or else I die. And as we partake of communion and we look at the 
the body, that, the, the bread that represents the body of Christ that was broken for me, that we get to break that. That, that I do it every week. I don't know what, first off, because the wafers are disgusting. It's only part of it, but symbolically snap. This Christ's body that was broken for me and I can rest in him. And the juice that represents his blood that was shed for me, give me Christ or else I die. And there are little communion cups in the welcome center if you weren't able to grab one, just... Um, Feel free to partake of that if you're a follower of Christ. If you can look at this and say, I struggle with security, I struggle with this passage, but what I do know is I believe in Jesus. I believe that he's forgiven me of my sin. Well, then I would love for you to partake in the heavenly community. The blessing that we have as a family of God to be able to look at one another as we're partaking of the elements that Christ told us to remember him by. And we can rest, we can pray and thank God that we are safe and secure in Christ. Let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can rest assured in you and at the same time, not just fly over our own selves, that maybe there's sin that needs to be repented of, knowing that you will forgive it, that as we partake of these elements, that we would examine our own hearts, our own thoughts, our own minds, our souls. And we, have, we just say, it, we've, been, we've just been acting. We've been putting on a mask by the door every day just to try to convince people, yeah, I like, I like this thing, but I don't actually believe it. Would you just help us examine our own hearts and then trust that if we do repent, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and enter us into that family, that adoption. And you, we are safe and secure in you, sealed with the Holy Spirit until that day of judgment. So God, I pray that you'd be honored and glorified now as we lift up our voices, as we lift up our prayers, and we partake of the Lord's table together. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.